You're listening to a podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au where we celebrate talented Australian writers and their books. Hyperbole is part of the process and the process wouldn't take part without your being convinced that this is one of the most important books ever written. If you believe your book is a really important book, uh, and I'm writing a book like that now, it is a delusion, uh, but it sustains you through the process, uh, the way that the delusions of uh, love um, sustain you through the process. And so um, uh, that's all okay. Uh, Forgive yourself for your bad writing, uh, celebrate the good, uh, take a meta bet on whether you can tell the difference, actually. <laughs> Many of us can't tell the difference. <laughs> well, I would hope you would. <laughs> but I suppose that um, the biggest lesson in what you've just said is, is that uh, the book you're writing now is the most important book. Yes, indeed. And if yeah. you believe that, and you have a nervous breakdown, and you're Young writers will have this. You have a collapse, a loss of faith halfway through. Oh, perhaps this isn't the book. And it, it's like falling out of love, actually. Um, this might not be the book I thought it was. This, where can I get the energy to finish it? Uh, and um, uh, that um, can last a week or two or 15 years in some cases. Uh, but um, the, uh, it, it, it is quite normal. Uh, one of the most important things that I think writers should know is what is normal to the process. Absolute infatuation with the subject, the crisis of belief in what you're writing, which happens in most novels uh, when you've already spent too much time on them, and your capacity to um, deal with that will decide whether you survive or not. There are ways of getting through that crisis of faith. Uh, If you feel you're out of control early in the novel, even halfway through, that you're not in control of your material, that's sadly the way it should be. We all want to be in control. Even this book I was writing, I was at the moment, I'm writing on my own at the moment, I've been moaning to Meg about some aspects of it for about six months now, and uh, to feel that you haven't quite got a handle on it is part, sadly, part of the process. So uh, when you begin writing, you know, you tell your friends, you're out for dinner, people say, what are you, is your book about? And you give them this great spiel. And even as you're giving it, you're thinking, this is a great book, and you can't wait to get back to it. Monday morning, you get back to it, and the tides of energy, faith, uh, endeavour run run out and leave you stranded on this blank piece of paper, a little atom on this huge piece of paper. And so I, um, if you feel that you're not quite in control of your material, that is the normal uh, condition of writers early in their book. When the material hasn't quite taken over them, when their subconscious 
their conscious mind is working on it, but their subconscious is also working away on the elements. Because it's a funny thing, once you start a novel, uh, your subconscious never clocks off. It's working on this material. And it's the... It takes over your life. It, it's the... All the Greek myths and the Celtic myths and the Chinese myths and all the myths of drowned maidens and heroes are sunk in our subconscious. And our subconscious is applying all that to our material and making connections that come to us as a revelation. I didn't know that they do that. Uh, I didn't know that that character would behave in specifically that way. For example, uh, I knew um, in, in a book I was writing about an English family on St Helena and their relationship with Napoleon. It came to me that one of them had to be a spy on behalf of the governor for various reasons, not out of nasty, treacherous reasons, but they were forced into it. And I uh, proposed that in the novel and use it as part of, of the plot. But that sort of development didn't come to me when I began writing. When you, when you set out your... You are at the start of the first draft of a novel, an explorer. So there comes a point when you're thinking, will I begin writing? You feel you want to write, and you, your confidence says, oh, no, don't start yet, take another class. When you've got that feeling, I'd really start to write, start, and start hacking the reality of your novel out in conscious words and do it day after day and then suddenly they'll all relate to each other and you will find the salient details of their life again to to pick this novel which isn't the best necessarily the best novel ever written by eaten by me uh, but um, a detail I read about Napoleon not having exercise because this tyrannous Tory, like high Tory, like some of the Australian high Tories, narky people, <laughs> nasty people, uh, who who want to send you bills from Centrelink, uh, and they um, uh, this this bloke restricted Napoleon's this governor restricted Napoleon's movements, so he couldn't go out riding because it was below his dignity to be bossed around by British privates and NCOs. And so he installed a seesaw in his salon and he used to sit on this seesaw with this young English girl. And they go, now the idea of Napoleon on a seesaw, a physical seesaw, is wonderful, but it, it is your subconscious that decides what's gonna go often that decides that has to go in. Yes, yes. So these are aha moments when you're doing all your research. Yeah, eureka, eureka moments, rather yeah. like the eureka moments that you get with crosswords. I'm a devout cryptic crossword person, <laughs> and you get a revelation. Yes. Uh, you can work with it with your conscious mind all you like, and you won't yes. get it. And then half an hour later, yeah. it just comes up. Yeah, like a little balloon yes. from your subconscious. It's interesting what you're saying about the, the lack of confidence because I, I find it extraordinary that some of the best writers in this country 
when they're interviewed and I hear the interviews, they will often say, I'm waiting for them to discover that I'm a fraud. Yeah. And I think, wow. Meg talks (laughs) like that. Yes. Kieran Desai, I did a reading with her in Calcutta once. She won with a beautiful book, the Booker Prize. And she said when she heard them announce it, she thought, I must be a novelist. They think I'm a novelist. <laughs> That's fantastic, isn't it? So that? if you're in doubt, yes. if you don't think you come from an important enough place or an important enough place, that's the... Novels are always written by marginal people and by people who don't feel they're in control. At the literary festivals, of course, we feel as if we're terribly saying, well, I thought with this novel I would address the subject of the and to use, I'd use these symbols, etc. But that's after the novel's finished, you think that. And yes. that's when you're working on the third or fourth draft and you're really getting conscious control of it by then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, after your... Uh, so there's a lot of truth in that old proposition of William Butler Yeats only begin, only begin, beginning is you'll never be equipped, no matter how many classes you take, you'll never be equipped Analysis to paralysis. <laughs> You're never equipped to steal the fire of the gods and that's what novelists do. That's wonderful. Meg, yes. on to you now. You grew up in this amazing household. Yes, I did. Literary yeah. household. And um, did you have aspirations of being a writer when you were younger? Or oh, look, I, I, I did, and I tried my hand at it several times uh, and didn't really feel that I had it. So there, I have a very clogged bottom drawer. Uh, and then uh, uh, children mortgage, so on, came along, yes. and uh, the need to the pay said mortgage. And uh, <laughs> uh, I... Uh, you know, sort of put that aside for a long time until Dad came to me with this idea for uh, for a series of books um, about which I was utterly excited and utterly terrified absolutely. at the same time. Yes, yes two sides yes. of the coin, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. And so um, I, the, the book is, um, and I've read the first one, I can't wait for the second. Oh, thank you. And I was looking at the reviews and the second one's getting even more reviews than the first one. <laughs> so it must be getting better and better. I think, um, I think we're getting to know the characters a lot more. Well, I, think, certainly you, I think you're certainly engaged with those characters. Yes. The, the, the Montserrat and his housekeeper. Yes. Um, so tell me about, you obviously come from northern New South Wales, Tom does. Uh, Dad does, yeah. Which, which yeah. is why you set it there? Were you interested in, uh, in in looking at the history there? Is that what he said? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, uh, Dad uh, used to know kids from Port Macquarie, didn't you, Dad? And, and uh, yeah, he grew up near there. I started my yeah. life up in that area. And yes. didn't your family always say, "Oh, those kids are convicts' kids"? Oh yes, yeah. Uh, right. Blackley Crescent Head, mm. uh, the great surfing beach. Okay. They were the children of convicts from. That's what people said in the forties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. When, it, wow. when it was shameful. Um, uh, at around the time of the bicentennial, everyone was ripping the pages yes. out of the history books, and then yeah. at around the time of the bicentennial, they started pasting them back in. Uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, I think what attracted us both to Port Macquarie, though, is a couple of things. I mean, Dad uh, came up with the idea, came up with the characters, came up with the idea for the book, and came up with the uh, with the first um, location. But what attracted us both is a couple of things. First of all, we're really keen to expose lesser-known 
public sites and a lot of yes. people even who go to Port Macquarie all the time don't realise that it used to be a Pendle settlement but secondly as well it's that unearthing the richness of our history yes well we've and got I, so much that's unexplored yeah. and secondly it's the geographical isolation you've got this claustrophobia in the middle of all of this vastness they're hemmed in with the the mountains and the river and the yes. sea um all sort of tightly packed together but dangling off the edge of the, yes exactly <laughs> exactly but dangling off the edge of the universe so i think that's what mm. attracted us both to port macquarie and one of my favorite books of dad's is victim of the aurora which is set in antarctica and it's got that same quality of claustrophobia in the middle of vastness and that yes. you know that's always attracted me that yes. that yes. kind of concept and that, that yeah. small community yes. people forced to live together yes in, in and then and then there's nothing for days yes. and days travel yes. on either side yeah and the paradox yeah. writers are paradox junkies yeah. that's why we can't be respectable people <laughs> <laughs> and and i was quite interested about um the is it the birapai birapai yeah i mm. hadn't heard of them before so that was yeah. really interesting and then yeah and then that was to go and look it up yeah so, so did you, you obviously learned a lot about the history as you oh were yes yeah, yeah very much so and um if you're going to write historical fiction, I can thoroughly recommend being born to someone who's a walking filing cabinet of Australian history as well. It's very, uh, very That's handy very as well. I laughed when your children said, Mum's gone back to 1835. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they had to put up with you. They do. They, in this. They call Monster Rat, Monster Rat. That was an interesting choice of name, I thought. Yeah. Was, um, I wanted yeah. to get a sort of Tony name. Huguenot to show that he was a gentleman, but he wasn't quite fully British. Huguenot name like Montserrat, and it's just a, it conveys a, um, if you hear a Polish name like that, I'm sure there are plenty of um, Montserrats who are Brickies, but it sounds posh, doesn't yeah. it? Well, yeah. he was a writer, wasn't he? He, he was, Montserrat. Nicholas Montserrat. Nicholas Montserrat. And yeah, there was, yes. yes. The cruel But I was more yes. interested in the idea of... Um, and there was a an artistic colony in Melbourne in the old days called Montserrat. Oh, yeah. Very and nice. I guess as well, it's, 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 it's a sort of an outsider's name too, because yes. it's, yes. you know, it's a bit tony, but also it's a bit... Just a little bit tantalisingly and, foreign. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it's got and, a little uh, bit of class to it. Yes, that, so, yeah, which yeah. Which is what, what the character is like. Yes. And um, so how do you divvy up the work? Who, who does well, the research? Or do you do uh, a chapter we, each? Or how, how do you well, do it? Well, uh, uh, that was our big question when we, when we set out. And Dad had written about 30,000 words and he literally chucked them over the table at me and said, have a go at this. Uh, and uh, we, we initially thought we might write alternate chapters. I found when I was working on what he'd written, I was so tentative. I didn't want to add anything. I didn't think I had a right to change anything that he'd written. Um, and uh, That's a big pressure for you. Well, yes, it? yeah. Uh, he, he dabbles in this fiction thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, written one or two books. Um, and as a result, you know, the end result was quite tentative. We showed it to our agent and she said, look, you've got Tom's very recognisable 
voice with something else humming along underneath it, but yeah. it's neither one thing or another. So she suggested that I start from scratch, write the first couple of drafts, uh, and then bring Dad in on the, the, the rewrites. And that's what we ultimately did, in co daily, daily contact with him, seeking yeah. advice, yeah. emailing him snippets and getting his feedback and so on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's how we've, we've, we've done it going forward. We go for long bushwork walks and figure out the plot. Yeah. And then I go away and do the first couple of drafts in constant contact yeah. with Dad. Uh, and then uh, he works with me uh, on the on the subsequent ones. In terms of research, uh, we did the research for the Soldier's Curse together and for this um, second one that's just out, The Unmourned. The third one, which we just delivered to the publishers, uh, Dad already knew a fair bit about Mariah Island, where it's set. So yes, I've written about that penal settlement mm. and... People don't know such a penal settlement existed. That'll be book three. Yes. Yeah. Mariah so Island. we've just finished that. And I went to Mariah Island as well because I think, you know, there's no substitute for actually being there. Absolutely. Um, Experience it so Yeah, up. absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the wildlife there is, is extraordinary and very mm. full of character. Um, my teenage children, I dragged them along as well and they found it such an extraordinary place. They didn't even mind that there was no mobile reception. So, oh, that's um, even better. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, so are there more than three in the series, or will you? Well, Dad wants to do twelve. So. <gasps> My goodness! Yeah. Various penal stations, famous and not so famous. Yeah, right. Uh, and uh, the, uh, uh, for example, Wellington Valley, which was a settlement specially for educated convicts, mm -hmm. um, and uh, the Hunter which was a coal mining penal station and is not well known about the female factory. The people don't know what the female factory was. Mm. I don't, it's not their fault, they've never been yeah. told about it. It's very yeah. exciting to, to dig up this history that, that's so rich that we don't know about. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. I know, I, Stephen Dando Collins, are you familiar with him? Yes, he's indeed. He's written over 40 books and um, he did that Great Escape uh, book. <laughs> yes. Know, the author of The Great Escape. And yes. he was, um, like you, uh, animated when he tells you about little-known facts that, you know. Yes. yes. And I think this is what Peter, well, Re Peter Reese is the same historical... Stephen Dando uh, Collins uh, wrote a book of the international competition, the great race to find something that would exterminate rabbits in Australia. It was an international competition. Pastor and Pastor's nephew got involved. Yeah. And... Pastor's nephew fell in love with Sarah Bernhardt. Well, uh, oh, and uh, such, and the, of I've course, him off now. Yes, yes. the colonials didn't want a Frenchman to win. They wanted a good Briton to win. But the Frenchman was winning. And uh, it, it, that's the sort of story which is out there waiting for young writers to come along. Well, I think I think it's wonderful and what a, what a, a treasure for our next generations that we can, you know, unearth these things. And I think the historical... So are all the things you're writing now, Tom, historical novels or based on history? No, I, I do like that because plotting is my best point. And there is a plot to the past. You can extract the plot from it. However, uh, I'm writing a novel at the moment uh, which is set now and 42,000 years ago in Australia. Now, the 42,000-year-old one, it's about the death of Mungo Man, who is a skeleton we have 
the skeleton of a man who died 42,000 years ago was ritually buried out in the sand dunes of Lake Munga, which in those days was full. And in a world of megafauna, the marsupial lion, the two-and-a-half-ton deprotodon, so on. Um, and that is a great test. That's the book I've been moaning to Maggie Struggling with you. Yeah. I, I, I don't blame you. I mean, it's, uh, yes. that, that, that's got a degree of difficulty, which I wouldn't even... Huge, very cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so you um, are writing these with Dad. Yes. Are you planning on writing some books without I, Dad? I have a book written without mm. adult supervision out next year. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So. That's, oh, it's coming out next yeah. year. Mm-hmm. And I hope she'll be a multiple offender like me. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Yes. And you have two daughters. Is your other daughter interested in writing or not so much? She's. I wish we had someone in our family interested in real estate development but they're all interested in the arts and my daughter's very involved in film right (laughs) so you're all creative that's fantastic well that's a polite word for it (laughs) nobody nobody knows how to you know change a tire or fix a fuse that's the problem that's okay you can hire people to do that (laughs) so um one, one question I wanted to ask you, is it easier to write a novel or short stories? Do you think people should hone their craft with short stories? Uh, I always thought that would be a good way to go. I think they should begin... I, I began with two short stories uh, that were published and I thought I was the ant's pants for getting published in 1962, 63. And so that, gives you the, yeah. that gives you the permission to go ahead. Okay. So, yes, I, yes, the market for short stories, you rarely get short stories except by a very major writer yes. published by trade publishers. Yes. But as a means of flexing your, yeah. your yeah. Uh, athleticism, your yes. literary athleticism, uh, it's a yes, good thing to it's do. a good thing to do, Wonderful. and you're not putting as much at risk. Yes, yes. I mean, really, it, it is a ridiculous thing to advise the young to do. We should be arrested by welfare and, <laughs> and charged over encouraging kids to write. Because <laughs> well, Thank you very much for that. Um, uh, you, you must go. You've got another uh, appointment. I really, really appreciate talking oh, to you. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you very, thank you. very much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from www.aussiewriters.com.au and if you are a reader or a writer, then hop on over to our website and subscribe. Subscribe.